The Fanboy, episode 111. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 111 of the Fanboy Podcast. How is everybody doing out there? It uh, It's certainly been an interesting few days to be a fan of DC on film, has it not? Last Saturday we had ourselves DC Fandom, a very unique and apparently very successful event. Millions and millions of people joined in on the live streaming sort of uh, super show that they put together in lieu of a San Diego, you know, a proper like San Diego Comic-Con panel this year. You know, Jim Lee and company put together the DC Fandom, and it was a rounding, a rousing success even. And honestly, I mean, I think we can all agree they should do this every single year. I say this should be the new standard. And in a lot of ways, by the way, just as sort of, I guess, a side note, is one of the things I really loved about DC Fandom is that they finally have taken control of the narrative, right? Because I've been talking about that for years. I was writing about that stuff a few years back about how they needed to take control of the narrative so that there weren't so many insane contradictory rumors all the time and so that the brand and the film division in particular didn't seem like a chicken running around without a head and look it took it took a while you know originally that dc daily show was going to be their attempt to try and take control of the narrative but then you know not a lot of people really really paid attention to the dc universe app unfortunately in terms of the mainstream and the show itself seemed to be, you know, it just kind of became more of just kind of like a, a fluff sort of cutesy daily web show. No, you know, not a lot of hard news, a lot of, not a lot of interesting uh, revelations or in-depth analysis of what's to come or any major rumor debunking going on. You know, it just, it didn't become that sort of platform. But DC Fandom, by doing what they did this past Saturday, you know, having the artists themselves and the filmmakers themselves come out and talk to you about these projects. I mean, they left very little room for misinterpretation. You know, we got to hear straight from the people who are in charge with these in charge of these characters and of these properties we love so much. We got to hear directly from them. And now we have so many different things to look forward to. So this is really exciting. And uh, <clears throat> here we go. I'm going to start off by discussing the trailers. And I'm going to just discuss them in the order that I saw them, which in a way sort of gives away the importance. You know, th this was also the importance with which I watched them, coincidentally. But I remember it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was very close to a religious experience for me because I wasn't watching the show for the first several hours. I had to work. So I was working until about five o'clock and then I came home and in my head, I had kind of made a goof. You know, when I saw the schedule, the lineup, and I saw something about 
the Snyder Cut panel being around like 5.30 or 5.45 or something. I had thought for some reason that was like West Coast time. So I'm like, okay, so tonight I'll see the Snyder Cut trailer and then we'll see what else comes up after that. You know, I know Batman's going to come up later. That's probably going to be like 11.30. I don't know why I did that. I just thought that there was going to be this huge timing issue. And all of a sudden I'm at home and I'm getting ready to go out and do some other stuff when I get alerted that the Snyder Cut trailer has just dropped. So I remember I was alone in the house, which is very rare. You know, when you have two small kids you know, and you're married, the house is never empty. You're never just the king of the castle alone in your kingdom. It happens very rarely. But I came home from work and my wife and kids were out at my in-laws and I was going to go meet them for a little barbecue dinner later. So I'm at home, I'm just packing some stuff and I'm ready to just jump in the car and go join them when I find out the Snyder Cut trailer's out. So I'm like, hold the phone. <laughs> so I put my bags down. I closed all the blinds in my apartment to make it as dark as possible. I sat down in front of my large screen iMac that I've got. I put in headphones because I didn't want any sort of ambient noise or maybe my dog would start barking at the door if somebody walked by. I didn't want anything to interfere. I made the place as dark as I could make it. I plugged in my headphones. I sat down. I put it into full screen and I hit play. And it was, it was just... And by the way, I guess I, I should also note that it's crazy how much I was into this and how much it even meant to me for the trailer to arrive, considering I'm not exactly a Snyder fan, you know, and considering, you know, the, the when I originally started seeing the promotions for his Justice League back in 2016, you know, before all the craziness happened, you know, it wasn't a movie I was terribly excited about. You know, we don't have to get back into all that again. But, you know, you guys know I'm not really a Snyder guy. But with everything that's gone on in these last three years and this incredible roller coaster ride of seeing how this project, you know, was basically how it just it finally came to be. You know, it was wished into existence by fans pushing for it and a, a you know, new owners and a merger taking place where now the, the folks and the powers that be see it as something that could be something special for them. And all of a sudden now, here we are, it's coming. So even without me being this huge fan of Zack Snyder's or what this film will really be showing me, to me, it's still just a big deal to get to sit down and watch it in its pure form. Watch the actual, you know, I mean, we didn't watch the film, you know, but watch a trailer cut by the man who made it who's going to get to tell his story his way after all these unbelievable trials and tribulations. So for me, it was meaningful and goosebump inducing, even despite the fact that I'm not sure I'm going to love the movie. You know, so it's, it, it, I'm, I'm in a weird spot when it comes to that. But honestly, even on that front, like based on this trailer, I don't see how I'm not going to enjoy it. It's weird what a few years will do to you. But, you know, whereas I was sort of like defensive and apprehensive and not really looking forward to where Snyder was taking things a, a few years back, now I look at everything that he's teasing up for this, you know, mini-series event, which we'll get to in a second, next year, and I'm like, this looks awesome. 
And maybe to me, part of it is knowing that it's sort of separate, that it's not, you know, the main line version of these characters, you know, that this really is sort of an Elseworld thing. And really, you know, now that we're leaning into the multiverse concept, this is really just, you know, this is one branching path of what could happen. This is what's happening on one Earth within the multiverse. And I guess just knowing that that's what this is, I can enjoy it more. You know, knowing that it exists in kind of a vacuum and isn't just, you know, the canon and continuity that I'm going to have to swallow for the next 10 years makes me go, all right, let's give this a shot. Let's enjoy this for what it is. Let's go down this interesting little dark alley with Zack Snyder and let's enjoy this for what it is. It, it, it's a completely sort of, you know, in its own world, Elseworld sort of tale, which is what DC is going to be all about moving forward. But again, we'll get more into that a little bit later on. So through that filter, through knowing that this is not going to be the definitive Justice League that we're now going to be building everything off of for the next countless some odd years, I can totally dig on what Snyder's planning on doing with these four episodes, these four one-hour episodes. So now let's talk about that for a second, because that was another big thing that came out of the panel. You know, finding out that it's not going to be just one four-hour movie, but rather they are splitting it into a miniseries event, which a couple episodes ago I discussed. I think that is the best way to do this. It's the smartest approach for HBO Max to do it. It turns it into a four, it turns it into four weeks of content, right? As opposed to just one standalone event that people might subscribe for one day for to see that one movie and then they're done. Now it's a series. So in theory, you know, and there's going to be cliffhangers and people are going to be watching that and then they're going to be enjoying HBO Max and finding other things. You know, it just makes a lot of sense to spread it out. And not to mention, you know, when you have such a long story to tell, it's nice to kind of break it up into smaller, more manageable pieces, especially if he's able to, you know, structure his story and and maybe, you know, film some additional things or re-edit it in a way where each episode really does feel like it could stand on its own while building towards a climax. So assuming he's able to pull that off, it sounds like a very sort of gratifying way to enjoy this thing. So while we're, you know, and then something else that I just kind of want to hit on while we're here in, uh, in Snyder Cut territory is I'm fascinated by the question of, is he going to, wrap this whole thing up with a nice little bow at the end? Or are there going to be some loose ends that are kind of left out there for possible further, you know, exploration? Because remember, this was supposed to be like part three of his five-part story, so to speak. So there's no way that within the in the span of just these four hours he's going to get to finish off what he wanted to say in three more movies. So I guess I'm just curious, like, you know, just like with BVS, how he put a lot of things in there that were meant to be explored later. I got to assume that his Justice League that he was filming was also including stuff that was intended to be built upon later. So as he's putting together this miniseries, I'm just wondering, you know, like, is, is he going to include those things that are planting seeds for the future? 
Or, as part of this being a standalone miniseries event with a beginning, middle, and end, and really just supposedly a one-time special event, are they going to edit it in a way where, you know, all of the questions posed for the for, you know, in this series are answered by the end? You know, is it going to be a complete experience that has a neat little the end at the end? Or is this going to be something that potentially has legs? You know, to me, I, I find the prospect of that fascinating. And it's going to be very telling. If there are some loose threads included in there, it's going to be very telling. And it's also going to indicate what kinds of conversations he's had with HBO Max. Because HBO Max, I assume, is going to be part of, you know, taking a look at this and and making sure, you know, it, it's 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 um, unveiled or, or rather shown in a certain way. You know, when he shows this HBO Max, the executives might be like, well, listen, look at all this teasing you're doing for a sequel. Where's this sequel you're planning on? You know, like it would, it would be very easy for HBO Max to kind of be like, dude, you can't be teasing something that we haven't given you a thumbs up for. But if there are teases of things to come, then that would mean that HBO Max wants to leave a back door open for more of this Snyder stuff. And honestly, you know, if this is great, and HBO Max is going to be the house, you know, the home of it. I'm all for it. You know, if, if it's great and, and, and if it really kind of ignites things and gets people excited about, you know, Snyder's vision and those versions of those characters and all that, the more the merrier. But I guess I'm just really, I'm very curious to how he's going to handle the story. You know, is it all going to be self-enclosed? Or is it going to be stuff that's going to be meant to be built, you know, or will there be plenty of things that are meant to be built upon later as there was in BVS? Um, so that's just, you know, th that's kind of my bit on Snyder Cut at this moment. The next trailer I saw was later on and it was cool because I got to see it live. You know, the, the Snyder Cut one I saw, at, you know, after the fact it had dropped and I was about 15 or 20 minutes behind everyone else, but I did get to see it around like six or six Oh five or so. But the Batman thing, by this point now I realize, Oh, wait a minute. When they said that the Batman panels at eight 30, that's my time. So, oops, I just dropped a thing. Oh, well, I hope you don't mind that I dropped a thing, but anyway, at eight 30, um, I kind of stopped what I was doing and I excused myself from my in-laws and my wife and my kids and I pulled open my phone and I went to the Batman panel that was happening live. I got to hear Matt Reeves say some things about what he, you know, the scope of his story and the way he wants to portray this Batman, the, the, the types of, yeah, you know, just the, the layers and approach that he's bringing to this. And which that in and of itself had me all hyped and jumping up and down for, oh my God, this guy is going to deliver a hell of a Batman movie. But then I saw the trailer. Holy crap, guys. Look, anyone who's been following me for any amount of time knows that for years I've been campaigning for David Fincher to direct a Batman movie. I just feel like I would love to see a Batman movie made by the, you know, with the sensibilities of the guy who gave us seven. And look, we'd heard that Reeves had kind of been looking at stuff like Seven 
and the game and Zodiac. Actually, you know, that's a lie. Ben Affleck was looking at the game. Isn't that interesting, by the way, that both versions of the Batman were in a way going to draw off the work of David Fincher? And that I think that's interesting because Ben Affleck, you know, back when he was working on it, the word on the street was he, you know, he was looking at the game, this David Fincher movie with Michael Douglas. And then when he left the project, we started hearing about Matt Reeves really being into Seven and Zodiac. And uh, I don't know. Apparently, you know, everyone else seems to want to make a David Fincher Batman movie. I guess I'm not alone in that regard. But and, and that's not to dismiss what Matt Reeves did. You know, it's clearly his movie. It's his vision. But you can totally feel that Seven vibe. And if you haven't seen Seven in a while, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, uh, what what the hell's the matter with you? You got to see Seven. <laughs> but it, it, it looks dark and gritty, but psychological. And I mean, there were goosebumps when he beat the hell out of that thug and said, I'm vengeance. I was like, I, I, I'm pretty sure I just stood up in the middle of the living room and no one knew why. I had my headphones in and my phone <laughs> and I'm just standing up, staring at my phone, just staring like a madman. And, you know, just, I mean, what can I say? What can I say? I feel like we're going to get something that's like a variation of the long Halloween and the Telltale Batman games. And to me, that sounds absolutely gobsmackingly awesome. And I say that because Matt Reeves was talking about how, you know, because uh, he the, the Chinatown reference, he once again confirmed the Chinatown reference that he confirmed uh, like a year and a half ago. It came up that he, you know, he was watching Chinatown uh, in preparation for filming this film. But he once again hit up the Chinatown thing and talked about the idea of like, you're investigating one particular crime that seems sort of mundane at first. And then as you start going up the chain and figuring out what, you know, what led to this, you know, you start seeing you know, that our, our hero starts finding how far up the corruption really goes. And I love the idea of that, that sort of detective noir, this guy who's on the outskirts, slowly pulling away at this thread and realizing, wait a minute, this is going to undo the entire freaking city. Everything's involved in this. How far up is this? I love that, that style of detective story, first of all. But when you also factor in that little scene at the end where we don't know who he's talking to, and I love, I love Jet's idea from Batman on film, Jet's idea that maybe you know, the other voice is the Batman talking to him. And it's Bruce speaking to Batman. Because remember, he also confirmed the Batman ego connection, which Batman on film has been on from the beginning. So, and in that, I haven't read Batman ego, but it's my understanding that it's almost like Batman and that is a completely separate character. And Bruce and Batman are kind of, you know, in a way, having like a little war or a tug of war over each other, over how to do things. And I don't know if that's the case, by the way, in this thing. Yeah, but that last scene where they say, you know, you're in, you're you're involved in this too, and he's like, how? And they're like, you'll see. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but 
that's what made me think about the Telltale thing. Because not to give anything away that's too major, but in the Telltale games, Bruce discovers that unwittingly his name, his lineage, his, his, his family's legacy in Gotham City is actually has secret ties to organized crime. And that the Waynes and the Falcones and stuff like that, you know, the, there was some, they were in bed together to a certain degree. So I wonder if that's, you know, if that's what they mean by like as, as Bruce or as Batman starts trying to peel back the layers of this mystery and seeing how far and how deep the corruption in Gotham goes, what if he finds out that his parents and the reason that they were killed, it wasn't like an accident or it wasn't Joe chill just picking a random couple to mug. But what if he was targeting them? What if, what if Joe chill or whoever did it in this, you know, in this version of the story was doing it as a retaliation for something that Wayne did against Falcone because the two of them used to be in cahoots together, but now Thomas wants to break away. You know, like there, there's lots of different ways to go with this. And I'm really excited. You know, the, based on the world that Reeves seems to be giving us, I think we're in for a freaking crazy, awesome, violent ride. And you know what? I'm here for it. Bring it on. And I'm really glad I never spoke out against Robert Pattinson being Batman. You know, listen, I long outgrew that thing where I have to have a hot take on castings and where I have to second guess what directors are doing. Nowadays, after all these years of seeing these kinds of films happen and having myself have to eat my own words because all of a sudden I realize, oh, you know what? That director actually knew what the hell they were doing after all. Uh, I bit my tongue with this Pattinson thing. I didn't initially originally see it, but you know, it wasn't really the, the type of Batman that I would cast, that's for sure. But I also didn't come out and say this is going to be a disaster and he's a sparkly vampire and all the other crap talk people did about Battenson. Uh, I didn't engage in any of that. And I'm really glad I didn't because he looks like he's going to be pretty great. You know, I, ha I have a couple of issues I've mentioned over on the Twitter. And even uh, in, uh, by the way, I've, I've been using the Revenge of the Fans uh, Facebook group a lot more lately. If you're interested, you should look us up. It's called the Revengers Lounge. And we're on Facebook and there's a bunch of us in there and we're starting to have like a, a regular, uh, you know, a regular conversations in there as, as my geek flag is starting to fly higher than ever, higher than it has in a long time. So just as a side note, if you're on Facebook and you want to engage with me and other people uh, who want to discuss these things in great detail, look up the Revengers Lounge on uh, on Facebook because, uh, you know, I'd love to have you in on the conversations. But something I've been talking about is, you know, I'm not in love with how bulky the costume looks, especially in the first shot in the trailer. The first time we see him, to me, it was a little, I, I kind of grimace a little bit. I kind of cringe. Even now, I've seen it like 35 times and I love it to pieces. But that first shot of Bats doesn't seem quite on the money to me. Uh, but I'm not going to nitpick. It, you know, it didn't ruin the trailer for me by any stretch of the imagination. But it just, you know, I, I wished it fit him in a way that made him look a little more awesome. 
in that first shot, it looks like it's just a little too big and bulky for him. But, uh, but yes, last thing about the freaking Facebook group. The full name is Revenge of the Fans, colon, The Revengers Lounge. If you're interested, drop us an invite. I'll be happy to accept you. All Revengers are welcome after all. But, um... Yeah, so and 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 I feel like not enough people are talking about the whole thing about a you know how he's investigating a series of murders. And that's why I talk about the long Halloween connection because in that story as we all know, I mean or maybe you don't know, maybe you haven't read it. But he's, you know, Bats is investigating a series of murders and along the way he has to encounter all kinds of rogues within his within his gallery and i started thinking of that right away when they were announcing how many characters are in this movie and when they were talking about you know riddler penguin catwoman and possibly more i'm like oh so this is gonna be one of those stories that's done in that vein where we're going to see Detective Batman kind of working his way through all the criminal elements as he tries to solve the central mystery of the story. So that's very long Halloween-y to me. The whole inference that he's somehow involved in all this is very telltale gamesy to me, and I'm here for all that. The visual aesthetic and overall feel Reminds me of David Fincher's Seven, and I'm all about that. So I guess it's it's safe to say that I am all in on Matt Reeves, the Batman. And I, it feels great to say that, by the way. Oh, my goodness, it feels great to say that. Because, listen, I was secretly very worried. I guess it's not that secret. I've tweeted it out a couple times. But I've, I've you know... Secretly, I've been worried that what if this looks terrible? What if this ends up being a misfire? You know, because there's lots of things. You know, that, speaking of things that come with age, and you know, if you've been following this stuff for long enough, you know, you see things that you assume are can't miss. Things that are like, oh, there's no way anyone could screw this thing up. It's going to be amazing, and then it happens, and you're like, oh, I guess you could screw that up. And when it comes to Matt Reeves' Batman movie, you know, for me in particular, as it pertains to what happened with Snyder and Ben Affleck and everything that's gone on over at DC and Warner Brothers in the last three plus years, really four years, if you think about it, um, when you think about all that, if the Batman ended up looking shitty and the Snyder Cut comes out next year and looks great. There's going to be a lot of people going, why did we do this? Why did we reboot Batman and go back from scratch when without tinkering, we could have gotten some great Batman movies from Ben Affleck? You know, the, the, that continuity and that version of the character still had some viability. And instead of pursuing that, we threw out the bat with the bathwater and we got a whole new director, new actors, new continuity. We're doing a complete from scratch reboot. And last thing we need now is for that reboot to seem completely inferior. 
Because then it's going to make, and I, I spoke about this on the last episode or the second to last episode I put out, that the folks behind the scenes are going to look like fools. But forget them. For us fans, how much would that have sucked? After all this drama, after all this waiting, after all the rumors, after all the speculation, after all that stuff, can you imagine if we see this Batman trailer and it looks like a big turd? Imagine if the, you know, that trailer comes out and it, it goes over like a fart in church. That would have been a gut punch. That would have been a total like, especially now with the Snyder Cut coming, especially now that Ben Affleck is officially returning to the role of Batman for the Flashpoint movie, which we haven't even gotten to yet, by the way, because I'm going to talk about that later, I promise you. But... You know, with all this other stuff going on that includes the now, you know, former Batman, the now previous Batman, how crappy, how, you know, how much would it have sucked if Ben Affleck is coming back in Flashpoint and everyone's getting all excited about the Snyder Cut and all that stuff, but here's our new Batman and he's god-awful. You know, that would have been a tough thing to have to stomach. You know, that would have been a big, wow, so you guys really ruined this. You had a pitch perfect, or at least the opportunity, to tell some really, really great Batman stories with Ben Affleck and Jeremy Irons. And instead, you got overreactionary, you screwed up the Justice League, you screwed up the Suicide Squad movie, you completely mangled Justice League. For what, at the end of the day? Justice League ended up basically flopping and Aquaman, which is from the same continuity, made over a billion bucks. So what was the point of basically neutering the previous continuity and now making a Batman that exists outside of it? You know, these are all the little neurotic concerns I was having as a fan that now I don't have to worry about because that trailer on Saturday was awesome. Ooh, that was such a relief, you know, <laughs> when I was watching it, like, like I was pretty much watching it with like fingers crossed. I'm like, please, Matt, Mr. Reeves, you're saying all the right things. You've been given all the resources and creative freedom that you, that you require. Please deliver now. When you give us this trailer, let this be something that's going to make, make people go, oh, okay, this may not be Batfleck. But this is a take on the Batman mythology worth exploring. This is a take on the Batman that I'm very much interested in. So thank goodness he delivered that in spades. And now I calmly don't really have to worry about that anymore. Now all I, all I have to do is look forward to 2021 where I'm going to see a Robert Pattinson Batman a Ben Affleck Batman and a Michael Keaton Batman all on, you know, all in the span of one. Actually, they're all going to be on the big screen. I was going to say, uh, you know, across mediums because Ben Affleck is on HBO Max. But no, he's going to be in cinema. So at the movies, we're going to have three Batmans, th three Batmen. And by the way, remember a few months ago when I was talking to you guys about, you know, hey, do you think the world could could handle two Batman, and I was having a lot of fun with that hashtag, Hash, hashtag, hashtag, two Batman, and I guess, you know, I, DC was like, two, <laughs> 
forget that. How about all of them? Um, but yeah, okay. But I, I don't want to move away from DC fandom just yet. We're going to talk about Keaton. We're going to talk about Affleck. We're going to talk about Flashpoint. But before we get into that, I also want to just finish off my thoughts on stuff that was shown at fandom. So then the next trailer I saw, and this wasn't, yeah, I didn't watch this one with much urgency, which is why I guess it kind of makes sense that it's like kind of third on my list. I watched it the next day after the fact was Wonder Woman 84. And the reason is, I guess, I mean, it's a personal thing for me because I didn't really need another trailer. I was already beyond sold. I loved the first Wonder Woman. To me, it's the best DC superhero movie in many, 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 many years. And a shining example of what these characters and these mythologies can and should be as both popcorn entertainment and poetic, allegorical, aspirational entertainment as well. For those of you who want to look for what what do these characters symbolize and what does this story mean beyond the context of a superheroine fighting a bunch of bad guys. You know, for me, Wonder Woman threaded that needle perfectly where I got everything that I like out of these kinds of movies. So I did not need another trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. That said, they might have, you know... uh unsold me a little bit <laughs> because you know i think cheetah looks pretty bad right now um and that's surprising to me because this movie was supposed to have come out already this movie was supposed to have come out two months ago and i know that the usual thing when you see bad effects in a trailer the usual thing that you have to tell yourself as you breathe heavily into a brown paper bag so as not to hyperventilate and have a panic attack at how bad it looks, the thing you're supposed to do to talk yourself off that ledge is go, well, you know, the effects aren't finished yet. You know, the effect, they have time to finish this and all that sort of stuff. But this movie was already in the can. It was already, you know, ready to be delivered two months ago. So when I saw that cheetah, I'm like, hang on, that's, is that the final build? That's the final CG that we're going to see of Cheetah? I mean, she looks, I don't know, like, like a cartoon, like a video game. It didn't, doesn't look photorealistic at all. And with what studios can create nowadays, I mean, look at the characters in the Snyder Cut trailer. They looked more fleshed out than Cheetah did. You know, and even there, you know, they still have time to finish it because supposedly we're not seeing that movie until September of 2021. So Zack Snyder still has 13 months to refine the special effects. So even in that one shot where, where Cyborg looks a little wonky, um, you know, you know that he's going to look better later on. But what's the excuse with Cheetah? I mean, I guess, you know, maybe since the pandemic hit in March... There was some sort of delay and the effects team didn't get to resume their work on it right away. And so they are kind of still tinkering. And, you know, I mean, listen, they have plenty of time. So hopefully they'll use that time wisely. But I'm just surprised that for a movie that was supposed to have come out two months ago, that villain looked very under, you know, it, 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 like she almost reminded me of that weird feeling I got looking at the Joss Whedon Steppenwolf. 
that like, ooh, you really stand out. You look like an animated character in a live action movie. You just turned this into who framed Roger Rabbit. You know, so that's why I'm like, I'm just anxious about that. So when I think about Wonder Woman 1984, listen, the trailer was good. Great. You know, overall, I, I love the, the storyline. I'm very intrigued by how they're going to use the 80s to tell a story of 80s excess and, and people wanting to have whatever they wanted. You know, everything is more, more, more. And Max Lord being this guy, or I can give you anything you want, this con man. And I'm very just interested to see and in, in how that, you know, what, what sorts of allegories and, and things Patty Jenkins has woven into that story that are going to draw, you know, I'll be able to draw parallels for what's going on in the real world. Listen, I know that that's like, you know, why do you take it so serious, Mario? It's just a freaking superhero movie. But listen, I have a fanboy podcast and this is what I do. Okay. <laughs> I go to these movies and I look for universal truths. I look for meanings and, 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 and advice. I look for messages that could transcend the movie and speak to me. Universal truths about mankind and what is, what it's really all about and what it's for. And listen, I'm not going to get all you know, esoteric and religious here. I mean, not religious, but, you know, I'm not going to get all like crazy, uh, poetic-y, fancy-schmancy right now. But we can have that talk another time. For now, I love when a movie has something to say. I'll just leave it at that. And Wonder Woman 84 looks like it's going to be that kind of big, colorful blockbuster I love that also has something to say. So I'm sold on that part, not sold on Cheetah. With Suicide Squad, it's hard to really react too much, right? Because James Gunn didn't give us like a lot to go on, but he finally gave us like the character reveals of who everyone is playing and all that stuff. And I finally got to see, you know, the the end result of that scoop I had like a year and a half ago that he was trying to, you know, James Gunn was seeking an alien femme fatale who is really kind of a badass. And we know that that's Mongal. And um, anyway... Watching the you know watching his reel there that reveals all the characters, I was uh, I just I love the aesthetic, I love the tone and style and overall feel of what Gunn is cooking up over there. The costumes, the whole the little hints he's been dropping, and it seems like a lot of these characters are going to be dropping off like flies. So, so a lot of these characters may only exist for like one scene because they die. You know, it, this seems like it's going to be a wacky, insane sort of movie. And when you look at, you know, some of the, you know, the original Suicide Squad comics and some of the stuff they were going for with Polka Dot Man and Ratcatcher and all these sort of outlandish oddball characters, it feels like James Gunn has sort of like perfectly hit the nail on the head for a movie that has, you know, that, that, that conveys that feeling of these odd characters in a madcap situation. And, you know, this is not going to be your conventional sort of, you know, movie with, you know, with all these characters dying and all of these well-known actors playing all of these utterly bizarre C and D list DC characters. See what I did there? C and D, DC. Anywho. Um, so yeah, Suicide Squad has my attention. I'm looking forward to a first trailer. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I, I wish there was more to say about Suicide Squad, but I think, I really do think that Gunn is going to deliver something extremely cool. And the last thing I want to say about DC Fandom and the things we got to see on Saturday is how could anyone look at that Snyder Cut trailer and tell me that it looks the same as the other movie or just a slight variation? Like, that's one of the things I loved about the trailer. I realized as I'm watching it, I'm like, not only is this all Snyder, but I he like specifically cut this trailer to show you things that you've never seen before or things that were not at all in the theatrical cut. It was as if to say, look how much of what I shot went unseen. And it's such a different experience as you're looking at all the shots. It's a two and a half hour trip, two and a half hour, two and a half hour, uh, two and a half, two and a half minute trailer. Uh, I guess, yeah, I keep saying hour because he makes a four hour movie. He might make a two hour trailer. Who knows? This is Snyder's style. He likes to take his time. But in this two and a half minute trailer, I feel like there wasn't a minute of film that had also been in the theatrical cut. And what was cool about that is you got to see a lot of things that are that already imply a very different story. First of all, you got Dark Side, which the other one didn't have. And it opens with that, which right off the bat, you know, to, to anyone who has, you know, a working, functioning, curious brain... They see Darkseid and they know, okay, this isn't the only time we're seeing him. This character is going to factor in big in this movie. And guess what? In the theatrical cut, he wasn't even there. So right off the bat, you got to know there's going to be a bunch of stuff we've never seen. And then as you go on and you're watching everything, it's like, look at the cyborg subplot that's been completely reanimated and brought back into the story. That wasn't anywhere in the Joss Whedon version of the movie. And you know, that's going to take up a substantial amount of running time. And, you know, Snyder has said that Cyborg really is the emotional heart, the core, the emotional core of this movie. So right there in seeing that and watching Joe Morton's um, Silas, you know, freaking disintegrating next to the mother box, like you already know that's going to be a whole other can of worms that's nothing like the Whedon story. You also see a very different resurrection for Superman with Cyborg being the one alone there kind of digging out the coffin, unlike the cutesy little scene with him and, and the Flash from the Whedon version. Like, everything about this movie implies that things are going to be very different. This is going to be a completely new experience that if you saw the theatrical cut that doesn't matter because this is something else. So I just wanted to say, like, I wanted to include that, A, as a rave for the trailer, because I think that sort of subtext for the trailer was great. The little subtext where Snyder's telling you, the viewer, look at all this new stuff, and we, you're going to see some things that you've never seen before, and uh, this is the ride I'm inviting you on. I love that. And I'm also bringing this up because I've heard and I've seen and there was even a thing where Snyder had to clap back at Scott Mendelson from Forbes because Forbes felt the need to comment on an elicited 
leak trailer, an, an elicited, you know, an, an illicit leak. Sorry, I don't know why. I, listen, truth be told, it's after midnight and I'm very tired. So I'm sorry if I'm uh, stumbling a little bit here. But a few hours before Snyder's trailer hit, somebody leaked it online and Mendelssohn saw it and didn't have the sort of journalistic integrity to go, all right, well, you know what? Let's wait until the official one drops before I share my two cents. No, he had to go and say that this looks just like the other movie I, with, with slightly you know, alternate takes. I'm not really seeing the point, essentially, is what he said. And Snyder freaking let him have it. You know, he quoted the man's own uh, review of the first Justice League because Mendelssohn claimed he enjoyed the first Justice League as if it were a Saturday morning cartoon that you should watch in your pajamas and a big bowl of cereal on your lap. And Snyder used that to kind of just corner him a little bit and be like, you know what? You want to smack talk my movie. You like the one that was in theaters that, and you like, you say that you liked it as a Saturday morning cartoon. Well, guess what? My movie is not that my movie is made for adults and good of you to how nice of you to comment on a leak. You know, Snyder, you know, maybe he should have taken the high road and just not addressed it. But if you're, if I'm Snyder, and I've been waiting years to finally get to show the world my version of this movie. And today is a day that's been built to for months and months and years of campaigning. And people have been dying to see the trailer for Snyder Cut after this whole release the Snyder Cut thing that's taken, you know, Twitter and Reddit and everything kind of by storm these last three years. So much so that HBO Max decided to do what once seemed inconceivable and greenlighted. Imagine You've been waiting for this moment to show your trailer. You're excited. You're excited to give your fans what they've been asking for. You're excited to show the world a taste of the movie that you had planned to tell. Just to have this guy come out a few hours ahead of time commenting ludicrous things about it, about how it looks like the same movie with just some slightly alternate takes. It's like, oh man, I would have, like, I probably would have said something far worse than that. But of course, you know, some people had their feathers ruffled by Snyder defending something that he's very passionate about and by using Mendelssohn's own perspective against him to say, listen, this is not the same movie. You, the one that you saw was a kid movie that you claim you enjoyed as a Saturday morning cartoon. I didn't make no kid movie. This is for adults. Now, you can choose to interpret that as, well, if you liked the theatrical cut, then you only like childish movies. But that's not how I took it. I saw a director clapping back specifically at a journalist who was talking out of his ass and making observations that made no sense. Because if you compare the Snyder Cut trailer that we got at, at Fandom to the actual movie Joss Whedon gave us, it's night and day. Okay, now I'm done with fandom stuff. Now let's let's move on to the next part. Um, the multiple Batman. Let's do this, all right? Because I was talking about the whole two Batman thing long before it was cool, and now it's happening. So this is pretty cool. This is pretty insane. But yes, two days before fandom... We got confirmation, first of all, that the Michael Keaton rumors were accurate. 
So we are going to see the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton Batman live on. And he's going to be part of the Flashpoint movie with Ezra Miller. But not only that, Ben Affleck will don the cowl yet again to portray Batman in this Flashpoint movie. Holy crap! Um, listen, I there's a lot I can say, but first let me just tell you what Andy Muschietti said. Because I feel like these quotes, like if I was still you know, running a news department at Revenge of the Fans and trying to do all that stuff, I would have had a field day on these quotes. But instead, we'll talk about them here on the podcast. So Andy Muschietti, who's the director of It Volume 1 and 2 and who's also doing uh, the Flashpoint movie, when talking about Ben Affleck's Batman, he said, <clears throat> he's a very substantial part of the emotional impact of the movie. The interaction and relationship between Barry and Affleck's Wayne will bring an emotional level that we haven't seen before. It's Barry's movie. It's Barry's story. But their characters are more related than we think. They both lost their mothers to murder. And that's one of the emotional vessels of the movie. That's where the Affleck Batman kicks in. Now... I'm going to pause there. There's another quote or two, but I kind of want to stick a pin in this and in those. I want to talk about this for a second. So it's very interesting to me that Muschietti is talking about the mothers dying and, and how this, you know, th that whole aspect is the emotional vessel of the movie and that that is where the Affleck Batman comes into play. Because I've also seen allusions to the fact that, you know, this really is going to serve to give him a proper exit, a proper swan song, so to speak, since he never really got a real goodbye. I mean, he never even got a solo movie. But for this Batman that we had started to kind of get to know, <clears throat> started to kind of get to know with the hopes of seeing their show, you know, seeing their movie, their series of movies one day. Uh, we're not going to get that series of movies, but we're going to get one last really meaningful moment with him in Flashpoint before we write him out. And then Michael Keaton becomes the Batman of this sort of multiverse, you know, of the connected universe. Right. Because when we first heard about the Keaton rumors, it wasn't just for Flashpoint, but that he would be signing on to appear in a few movies as, you know, the Batman, um, you know, presence. Because, you know, Ben Affleck's not going to be around anymore. So with that in mind, and, and thinking of this as a possible farewell to Batfleck, um, how amazing would it be if part of the story and the part of the reason Muschietti's mentioning this thing about the mother's dying and this being an emotional vessel for the movie and how much, you know, this connection between them and their dead mother's you know, unite these two characters. What if they give Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne the ultimate happy ending? Because they have the ability to do that. In a story that's going to blow everything wide open and show us a multiverse with alternate universes and dimensions where there's Batman in all of them and flashes in all of them and everything is slightly different. They can give Bruce Wayne's Batman on his Earth the ultimate happy ending by going 
back in time and saving his Martha. And when you think about the trauma that this Bruce Wayne has gone through and how, you know, what what the loss of his mother meant to him and, and the dark path that we saw in BVS and, and how much it meant to him when he realized that Superman also has a mother named Martha and all that stuff, and, and he could now save Superman's mom. I mean, th- this is a Bruce Wayne that seems more directly impacted by the passing of his mother than other Batman that we've seen. You know, a lot of times when we've seen Batman, he's mourning the loss of both of his parents almost equally as just, you know, my parents were killed. But this Batman, this Bruce Wayne, seems to have a very, seem to have had a very special connection to his mother. So imagine if somewhere as part of the story, you know, Flash realizes he can't save his mom because it, for whatever reason, creates a situation that disrupts his earth too much. But he could go and save Bruce's Martha. His Bruce is Martha. His Bruce's mom. You know, I hope I, I didn't. I hope I said that in a way that was clear and concise enough, because I think it's a beautiful idea. And if they do go that route, oh, my goodness, how freaking cool and how emotional would that be? And then how easy would it then be to be able to sort of now pivot and welcome back the Michael Keaton Batman and, you know, kind of feel happy about Ben Affleck, you know, about that Bruce no longer being around. Because at least you know he got the ultimate. Now that Bruce grew up with his mom around, with his parents around, and his life was very different, and things are very different now. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe there's too much uh, interfering with the space-time continuum. Maybe it's an unrealistic expectation. But when I think about giving Batfleck a proper send-off, in a story that involves time travel and trying to right past wrongs, it's hard for me not to consider the idea that they might save his mother. How cool would that be? Um, Then in terms of the multiverse and all that stuff, I really want to talk about that too. Because Muschietti had more to say about this. Because while talking about Batfleck, he said, he's the baseline. He's part of that unaltered state before we jump into Barry's adventure. There's a familiarity there. This movie is a bit of a hinge in the sense that it presents a story that implies a unified universe where all the cinematic iterations that we've seen before are valid. It's inclusive in the sense that it is saying all that you've seen exists and everything that you will see exists in the same unified multiverse. That's what Andy Muschietti, the director of Flashpoint, said. And to me, I just, I love the sound of this. I love the openness with which he's approaching this whole way of of kind of blowing the story wide open, blowing this universe as we knew it wide open and leaning into the concept of the multiverse. I just love that. It presents a story that implies a unified universe where all the cinematic iterations that we've seen before are valid. That's crazy. So that means that everything has happened. 
Forget the idea of reboots or whatever. No, Batman and Robin, that happened. That wasn't erased by Batman Begins. You know, and The Dark Knight Rises, that happened. And it's not erased by the new Batman that we met in BVS. All of these characters in some way, shape, or form still exist, or these stories were told on their unique Earths. And this also means that other characters, not just Batman, this means that like the Christopher Reeve Superman is there and the Henry Cavill Superman is there. Just like we've already learned that the Grant Gustin Flash and the Ezra Miller Flash met up last year. I have a feeling we're going to see Grant Gustin's Flash do a bookend to that, to that cameo in Flashpoint. This big, wide-open sandbox idea of it's all connected, I think that's pretty amazing. I think it's a pretty genius, pretty innovative way to approach all this stuff. It makes the possibilities sort of like endless. You know, in a way, you know, whoever came up with this way, and I, I think it's Jim Lee, a lot of it, a, a lot of what's going on right now, I'm told can be credited directly to Jim Lee's vision for DC and what he sees as the way towards prosperity. So what I like about this approach is that rather than look very linearly at here's a film franchise that's had, that, that's had lots of ups and downs, and we have to figure out how to fix this specific film franchise with these specific versions of these characters, which is what I feel like all of us people on the outside have been trying to figure out for years. Like, how are they going to sort all this out with, like, Jason Momoa's Aquaman and Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman still being around, but we're meeting a new Batman but Birds of Prey loosely follows up on Suicide Squad, but also does its own thing, while James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is going to pick and choose what it wants to keep. Like, you know, as an outsider looking in for the longest time, the question was, how are they going to fix things? How are they going to make all of this make sense? And Jim Lee basically is saying, instead of trying to fix this, no, all of those things happened. That's just the way it works. It's a multiverse, just like in the comic books, where there's lots of versions of these characters. And every few years, a new creative team jumps in and they, makes it their, they, they make the character their own. And there's certain things that get retconned out and then certain things that get brought back in 20 years later. You know, it, he's bringing the whole comic book sensibility to the DC world. And I once lauded the Fox franchise for doing that, you know, the, the X-Men movies for doing that, because after Days of Future Past, it seemed like they were also going that route, too, of just like, let's let these stories be whatever they're going to be. That's why we can do Deadpool, even though it doesn't really follow up on the Deadpool we met in X-Men Origins, even though it's Ryan Reynolds again. And we can do Logan, even though... This Logan, you know, Wolverine's been all over the place in this franchise and, and, and parts of his continuity have made very little sense, like with William Stryker's age being all over the map. And, you know, there's been all kinds of inconsistencies, but Logan, did, it didn't matter what came before it. Logan, it just worked. It was a great story with a great actor and a great director, and it didn't matter necessarily if it tied very closely to what came before it. So I once complimented 
you know, Fox for trying to bring that comic book sensibility to the X-Men movies. And then, you know, they ended up, you know, shitting the bed. You know, X-Men Apocalypse was not great. And then Dark Phoenix ended things with a whimper. And listen, yeah, obviously there's more at play because Disney bought Fox. And then that probably just led to this whole idea of it doesn't matter anymore. So just finish off your cute little franchise. Don't do X, Y, and Z because now we're in charge. So I know that there's more to the story and whatever, but Fox did end up kind of, you know, uh, not pulling it off to the degree that I was hoping they were gonna. But now DC is taking that to a whole other level. And this idea that the film universe and the TV universe and everything are all just connected and all the prior DC films we've seen are all in there somewhere. I think that's so cool. You know, I really do. I think it's a great um, outside the box solution to, you know, how do we quote unquote fix our film franchise? You know, I think it's uh, I think it's neat. And I think the response to DC fandom shows that people aren't being too slavish to like the canon and the continuity. And how are you going to explain this? And are you going to reboot it? It's like, no, all of that stuff was just thrown out the window. We're not in a DC universe anymore. We are in the DC multiverse. And the future is bright, my friends. Um, now, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. It sucks that there's still no Superman action, though. You know, to, to go that whole day secretly hoping for, like, some sort of secret surprise panel where we're going to get some sort of information about Superman, anything. I'd settle for a video game. Do you know how insane it is that we get a Batman movie every couple of years and we haven't had a Superman movie, I mean, a Superman game, I should say, since 2006, and it was just the crappy tie-in to the Superman Returns movie? Like, that, that, that was the last time... I got to pick up a video game and play as Superman and fly around Metropolis saving people and do all that stuff. Like, why doesn't anyone think that Superman works anymore? You don't think there's an audience? You don't think people would buy the hell out of an open world game where you get to be Superman flying around doing super heroic things while there's an overarching storyline that you have to solve? Like, come on, it's crazy to me that we can't seem to get anything going with Superman. Now, you know, I know there were rumors, and I, I, I honestly haven't even fo uh, followed up on them, that fandom was getting split into two events. So maybe in the sequel, they're going to mention something about Superman. But it really is just sort of dumbfounding that we can get all this great news about all these magnificent characters and all of the brilliant people who are adapting them for us now. But they can't give us one clue as to, hey, where's the Man of Steel? Where's Superman? Where's the guy who built the house that, that is DC? Where is he? It's, it, it, it is a little mind-numbing, you know, and I guess, you know, we have to settle for Dwayne Johnson once again teasing Superman, you know, because during the Black Adam thing, 
he was asked a question about which DC characters he would love to interact with on screen. And at first, he didn't mention Superman. He actually said Wonder Woman first. Um, but that also seemed a little kind of tongue-in-cheek in a way. But then, as he always does, he brought up Superman. And that's something I've discussed on this show plenty of times. And I've written about it at Revenge of the Fans. Dwayne has a thing for Superman. And he has a thing for this idea of Black Adam and Superman, you know, uh, being at each other's throats. He's dropped so many hints. There's so many breadcrumbs one can follow here. But the latest came this past Saturday. Because while talking about, you know, wanting Superman, he said, because look, at the end of the day, you never know. Black Adam and Superman could become friends. Or they won't. Who knows? Maybe we'll see. So, of course, he ends with that maybe we'll see because this freaking guy wants Black Adam and Superman to share some screen time together. So, you know, I guess that's the only kind of takeaway we can have here with regard to Superman news, you know, because there was no announcement of a new project. But there was, you know, there, there was Dwayne Johnson bringing him up. And then I heard there was also a little bit of, te you know, teasing of a Superman presence during the Shazam panel. So I am, I do secretly think, I mean, I don't secretly think, I think that Cavill did sign that deal. He's going to make a few appearances. He's not getting that solo movie, at least not yet. I think we're going to see him pop up in Shazam, and I think we're going to see him maybe in Black Adam 2. But, you know, I do think we're going to get him, but it's just crazy how, like, they could play that song Waiting for Superman during DC Fandom between events, and they know that we are, we've been waiting for Superman for ages. And you could freaking build the whole event with trailers that feature the Superman theme, the John Williams Superman theme and the fonts and everything. So you're trying to make us think of Superman and the glory days, but you're not going to really give us anything about Superman to take home at the end of the day. No little tidbit, no like official word from someone behind the scenes going, there's something coming. Keep looking up to the skies. There's more on the way. You know, give us something. Throw us a bone. You know, so that's the only thing I'll say. Amidst all of this awesomeness, there is still just that sense of like, wow. You know, not even a video game. I got nothing. Why, why is it so hard to get some standalone, solo Superman goodness anymore? You know, it, it's just, it's crazy to me that somehow the powers that be don't seem to see this character and this symbol of hope as needing to urgently be brought to the front, you know, to the forefront of this DC multiverse. You know, it's just, it's crazy to me. And I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, but uh, you know, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting and I'm waiting for the day when we finally get some solid, Superman news, and I know I'm going to get to see uh, my Kal-El fly again, you know? But, um, you know, aside from that, I really think we can't be complaining too much. We're being fed very well right now. 
You know, if you really think about it, I was talking about this with a buddy of mine the other day. He's a, he's what you would call a disenfranchised DC fan. You know, he's one of my very best friends, Joel. You know, we, uh, we both grew up on Superman and Batman. And when, when we became friends, one of the things we bonded over was our love of Batman and Superman. And he's been so put off by the last 10 to 15 years of DC movies that he's really kind of checked out. He doesn't have that optimism anymore when he hears about a new creative direction or a new project, it's on the horizon. It doesn't spark his interest. You know, Superman Returns, he had a lot of high hopes for, but it let him down pretty bad. Man of Steel, he really didn't like. I don't know why I'm telling you my friend Joel's opinions, but just, you know, he, I, I guess I'm just trying to set the stage here for the conversation I had with him because Man of Steel didn't do it for him. Batman versus Superman, he, th he thought was just the biggest joke in the world. And I've tried to convince him to try to see the ultimate edition because I do think it's a better version, but he's just that like, why would I sit through three hours of a, a version of these characters that I have no interest in. And it's like, it's hard for me to uh, justify that, you know? But, you know, he's just, he's been checked out. And Justice League, you know, same thing. Just, you know, he, I, I gave him all the juicy gossip about what was going on and the backstory and the things that are should be interesting about this or that. And he's just, you know, he's not into it. And it's crazy for someone who loves these characters to just go, eh, I'm over it. But the other day when I was trying to explain to him what's on the horizon, since he doesn't really pay attention to what's going on, on you know, online, he doesn't follow the latest rumors and speculation and all that sort of stuff, he's really been out of the loop. So I let him know about Michael Keaton returning, and he's like, what? <laughs> and then I let him know about Ben Affleck returning, and then I explained to him the way the multiverse is going to work, and I tried to get him to tune in on DC Fandom, but that... That, that, that was never going to happen. But in talking to him about it, because he brought up the Marvel thing. He brought up like, you know, why is it, does it seem like DC seems so scattershot and Marvel has everything figured out? You know, it's really annoying because I didn't grow up like an Iron Man and Captain America. I don't care about Ant-Man. But meanwhile, I, you know, I'm all in on these Avengers movies. And whenever DC does something, I pretty much assume it's going to suck nowadays. And that broke my heart to hear, you know, I'm like, geez, it really, it's gotten that bad for you, huh? But I was trying to explain to him, like, this way of, of doing things is going to pay off majorly, I think, because we're creating a cinematic landscape here where artists can step in and adapt these characters in whatever way they see fit, in whatever way inspires them and makes them want to go do this, as opposed to like in Marvel, where it's more like there's one central boss and here's the story we want to tell and here's where we're heading. And, you know, it's, it's that whole TV concept of the showrunner is really deciding what's happening and the directors who are brought in 
are primarily there to carry things from point A to point B on their way to a larger climax. You know, the, the directors in the Marvel system are like the TV directors. They're more anonymous in that way. You know, can, can you name to me right now without Googling, who, can you name me who directed Captain Marvel? I'll wait. No. Um, meanwhile, in D.C., you know, we can get things like the Todd Phillips Joker movie, which was became such a zeitgeist thing last year. We can get James Wan's Aquaman, but we could also get something totally dark and crazy like the Matt Reeves Batman. And we can get something like what Patty Jenkins is doing over there with Wonder Woman 84 or what James Gunn is doing over there with Suicide Squad. All of these different visions for what DC can be. And they're all going to be unique. And they're all, I mean, based on what we've seen so far, I have high hopes for pretty much everything that's coming aside from Cheetah. I have every I have high hopes for just about everything that's coming down the pike here. Meanwhile, with Marvel, like, you know, ever since Endgame, with the stuff they've announced that's coming, it's like I'm having a very hard time getting excited about any of it. And in general, maybe this is just me, but I'm just kind of burnt out on the one guy's vision thing. You know, that, that feeling of sameness, that feeling of Marvel movies feel like TV on the big screen. You know, I'm really kind of, I'm really just kind of over that. I like the sort of wide open, almost Wild West format that Jim Lee is ushering in here with the multiverse. The idea that we're going to get some cool, weird, subversive Zack Snyder DC goodness on HBO Max the fact that we're going to get all of these different sort of competing visions of what a DC landscape can look like on the big screen from all these aforementioned directors I just mentioned, because it sounds like Muschietti, Gunn, Jenkins, Reeves, you know, they're all going in their own very unique, very um, original directions here. And to me, that's way more exciting. Even if I don't end up loving all of them, I love the fact that it's a wide open playground now. If one of these films falls flat on its face, it's not going to sink the whole thing because all these movies sort of exist on their own now. You know, and, I, and I'm also curious, I guess, a little bit about how the Flashpoint thing is going to handle all that with the multiverse. You know, like, how are we going to leave it? Are we going to leave it where we can expect frequent interaction between these DC characters? Or after he's done with his adventure, is the Flash going to sort of like leave the multiverse concept alone for a bit and be like, you know what? It's probably best I don't mess with these other Earths because, uh, you know, it, it, it could create havoc that I don't want to be responsible for. You know, so I wonder, like, are they going to introduce the multiverse just to let people know it's there and then leave it alone? Or are we going to see a lot more crossover stuff, too? Yeah, I, I'm not sure how that's going to work. But again... Right now, they have the freedom and the liberty to pursue all those avenues and to find whichever way of telling these stories that they want to. So in a weird way, you know, through all of these trials and tribulations, DC has popped up, in my mind, with the upper hand. To me, they've got the hotter hand. You can't look 
at the buzz generated at Fandome last week and compare it to the lack of buzz for what Marvel's got cooking up. And I'm, not, and I'm not trying to do a flame war. You know, I don't like to pit the two against each other. But since we're just talking about, you know, it, it, it's hard not to, right? Because they're the two big, you know, movie comic book studios at this point. You know, we got Marvel Studios and you got DC Entertainment. And it's hard not to compare them. And when you do, you know, it's, it's I don't know. To me, it's so obvious who has the more exciting outlook. And it ain't the studio that's giving me Eternals and Shang-Chi and a third Ant-Man and another Doctor Strange. I mean, listen, those all sound pretty cool. Thumbs up to you. But I'm going to be over here waiting for Flashpoint and seeing what Dwayne Johnson does with Black Adam and his Justice Society and how that could lead to a showdown with Superman. And I'm, I just... I'm way, way, way more into what DC's got coming. And I give 100% of the credit for that to the multiverse concept and to this fresh new energy that Jim Lee has brought to the proceedings. So I think that's enough for me this week. I hope you enjoyed this uh, sort of uh, return. It's been a few months. Um, and I would like to get back into some kind of flow. I'm not going to commit to a weekly thing, but I have a feeling that once September comes and my schedule gets back to normal with the kids having school and all that, uh, I have a feeling you're going to be hearing an awful lot and possibly seeing an awful lot more of me because homeboy got a whole green screen set up for his garage and he's dying to use it. So, uh, thanks for those of you who've been patient and waiting and those of you who've been, asking for my thoughts on DC fandom and kind of hoping for an episode of the podcast that reacts to what happened at fandom. Thank you for kind of making me feel like people still care about this thing and people still care about what I have to say because, uh, I'm starting to feel like I got an awful lot to say again. So, um, until next time, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. <laughs>